This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In a sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. My guest today is Michael Rubino, an international mold remediation expert. Michael has a decade of experience working with people to remove mold from their homes for cleaner air and better health. He's also the author of The Mold Medic, which provides a step-by-step guide to mold remediation and improved air quality. Michael has been an indispensable resource for me as I've navigated my own challenges with mold. Today we talk about how and why the environment inside our homes may be impacting our health. He explains what makes a home susceptible to mold growth, why it's often difficult to detect, and how to identify if you might have a mold-related issue at home. Let's get to my conversation with Michael Rubino. How did you become interested in mold specifically? And was it part of your own health journey or was it completely separate? So it was separate. I got interested because my dad was a contractor as well. So I kind of grew up around construction my entire life. And one of the things that he did was fire restoration. Hurricane Sandy hits the Northeast. I start seeing people get sick and I just became sort of obsessed with this idea of trying to figure it out because as I, I would get presented with lab results of, okay, this person has mycotoxins. And in 2013, there was no such thing as mycotoxin remediation. But why were you getting presented with mycotoxin labs? Okay. So the backtrack, it's because I started working for my dad inside his company And so what I was hired to do was not only marketing, but project management. So I was just kind of helping him revamp into the 21st century. And as a result, I was also managing projects. So I would 
get asked to go to so-and-so's house and look at this report of what needed to be done to fix their home. And so that's when I started seeing these lab results for the first time. And I started looking and it was all kind of foreign to me. I had to, you know, really teach myself on what it all was. And I started doing a lot of research, trying to figure out, you know, what is it that is really the problem here? When I started walking into people's homes and they were started complaining of all these adverse health symptoms that they were experiencing for the first time in my life, I, I didn't like really understand what was happening. Right. I, I think I've in my in my experience growing up, it was never it never really occurred to me that air quality impacted our health. And so when people started saying they weren't feeling well because of this water damage to me, I was just like, how is that possible? It was always this thing where you just poured bleach on it. You painted over it. Like that was the sentiment, you know? And so as I started to see this and it wasn't just one person, we're talking hundreds of people over the course of the years, I re- I quickly realized that this is a bigger problem than, than we're facing currently. And what did that rabbit hole look like? So how did you start to educate yourself on what mold was and, and how to remediate it? So I found, you know, like Dr. Jill Carnahan, for example, I, I went, I found her and, and all the information she was putting out there on mold toxicity. There was uh, Dr. Sprouse out in New York city who uh, has since retired uh, and sold her practice, but she was a big advocate for, you know, mold and how mold impacts the health. And so as I started seeing that there was some doctors, I mean, nowhere near like the amount of doctors there are today that realized, thank God. But back then, I mean, there was a a few doctors here and there, and I started researching just microbiology, you know, what is mold? For the first time, I realized that mold is a living organism and that it has a particle called a spore, right? And that these spores, when it, when it's mixed with water, earth's life source, it starts to grow into a living organism, right? And so I started to see all these pieces of the puzzle quickly and how it related to the work that we needed to do inside people's homes. And what I realized today is that where mold remediation is as an industry, it still is in this state of mind where you come in and you remove things cosmetically so that it looks like there's not a problem. But scientifically, they're not verifying whether there is or isn't. And I think that's what makes me so different is the fact that I'm looking at this scientifically. How do we remove these contaminants that are actually impacting people's health scientifically? Can you tell me a little bit about the broad spectrum of symptoms that you see? Like, what are people complaining of? Yeah. So chronic fatigue and brain fog are probably the two most popular things. I'm not a medical doctor and cannot dive into all of the, the, the studies of that, but I can tell you based upon experience and, and remediating people's homes and watching what they're like before and after, it's remarkable. I've had clients who are dealing with such brain fog that they actually were slurring their words. Like they, they were speaking faster than they could think of what to say. It's pretty scary, you know, when you see what this can can result and how it impacts people. Chronic fatigue is another thing, you know, when you're dealing with chronic fatigue, it's not like, you know, you're tired or lazy. You, you literally don't have the energy to get out of bed. And, you know, when you, there, there are times when I would talk to clients and they would just go missing for two days and, and you finally you get in touch and they said, I'm sorry, I had, I had to go inside the house, even though you told me not to, to get some things. And it knocked me out for two days. I, I couldn't even 
get to my phone. I mean, you know, these are some of the real severities of what happens. And obviously, the more you're exposed to it, the worse it gets. Do you find that people come to you when I, I imagine they're in two camps, right? Like one, there's been an obvious flood and they know there's water damage. And so they want somebody to come in and have a look and remediate. But then there's also the person who perhaps is having a whole host of unexplained symptoms and are kind of going on a detective journey to understand, you know, well, you know, maybe they find you through reading about the array of symptoms that cause brain fog and chronic fatigue. And there isn't visible mold in the house, but they think, okay, well, maybe there was a flood in the past before I owned it, or this is an old house. Is that sort of the, are those the two groups that you deal with? I would say I probably deal with three groups. You know, people that they come to me, they know there's a problem. They, they already have an inspection. You know, they're like, here's my report. I'm ready to go, right? They, they've been educated. They know what's going on. Likely they've been dealing with a doctor. The second camp is people that call and say, Michael, I read your book or I saw a post online or what have you. And everything you talked about, describe me. I know for a fact I am impacted by my environment where can I start? That's and, how I found you. I found you through <laughs> on Will Cole's Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how this works and comes together full circle. And, and you know, I, I'm I'm so grateful for people like Will Cole that help amplify this because, you know, it's again, it's such an unknown factor here that most people are walking around feeling sick, and it's such a slow degradation they're not even really aware until they realize. I don't feel the same way I used to feel. And I think that's really what makes us so scary, right? And I say the third camp of people are people that know they've had water damage. They're concerned about the potentiality of mold to develop. And so they're looking for guidance or answers. How does the mold typically get into our homes? And then how does it proliferate around the house? So mold is part of our ecosystem. And it, it naturally does occur outside. It's in the soil. It's on trees. As trees, uh, you know, start to decay, as leaves fall, it, it actually does help the decaying process to create this compost right back into the soil. So mold is part of our ecosystem. It's going to come in naturally. That's why it's so important to prevent the ability for it to grow inside of our homes. Because once it comes in, if it does have an ability to grow, believe me, it will. From there, it really proliferates by traveling through the air. I think the past couple of years, we've all heard this new terminology called air transmission, highly important in this microbiological uh, contamination process, because as it transmits through the air, it's very light. We have these mechanical systems called heating, ventilation, and air conditioning systems, called, which stands for HVAC. And it, it starts to actually circulate throughout our house. It gets into our breathing zone. It starts to enter the body. But the scariest thing about these HVAC systems is most of us are not really educated on how to maintain them, how to install them, how to deal with them appropriately, or just even the fact that there's something called a filter inside that needs to be changed. And there is a difference in quality of filters too. Now, mold is very small, typically between two and four microns. The filters that we standardly have in our HVAC systems cannot filter out that small of a particle. So what happens is as mold comes into our environment, it starts to filter, it starts to circulate throughout the HVAC, it bypasses our typical filtration systems. So 
it can grow on the coil and actually contaminate these HVAC systems so that they become a source. And it also just, again, circulates, allowing us to breathe that in. Look at it as the lungs of our home. So, so important to protect the lungs of our home. So how many different species of mold are there? And are there ones that are more dangerous to humans than others? It's going to kind of an alarming answer, unfortunately, but there's over 100,000 species that we're aware of, of mold. There definitely, I would say, are more water damage borne species. For example, if you use PCR technology to test for mold, they're going to identify like the 36 water borne species of mold. And those are the molds that are typically created inside of our homes through water damage. Those are the molds you want to pay most attention to, just based upon the fact that they're either allergenic, pathogenic, or toxigenic, all of which can impact the body in different ways. And then the, even the more confusing part of this, unfortunately, is the fact that certain species of mold can produce a toxic byproduct called mycotoxins. And they can be allergenic species like aspergillus or toxigenic species like stachybotrys. So it's, it's very, it's very confusing as you dive down to this rabbit hole and kind of the way I look at it is the toxigenic ones, the mycotoxin producing ones. We want obviously as little as possible inside of our homes. And we also want to create environments because we don't, we don't have to build a bubble around our house to, you know, feel safe. But we do have to make sure that our environment isn't conducive for mold growth. And if we accomplish that, which is what my goal always is to accomplish when I'm working with people, then we're going to have healthy environments. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. I just, I, without boring everybody, I want to talk a little bit about my experience because I think one of the reasons I, I feel like I'm so happy and honored that you're on the podcast is I consider myself like pretty curious and well-versed in, in things around health and wellness. And I was absolutely shocked at the physical impact that mycotoxicity had on me. And then through my remediation process with you, I I couldn't believe how dire the conditions were in my house. And then I had very high inflammation levels and through a series of, you know, trial and error and different tests came to understand that I had huge amount of mycotoxicity in my body. And then thankfully I was introduced to you and I was struck by how skeptical my regular contractors and everybody was when I said, Hey, 
this is a big problem. You know, a different group came in to do all of the, the testing. So all the scientific testing of the dust in the house and the air quality in the house, et cetera. And they were kind of like, you know, with all due respect, I love these guys, but they were like, we don't see any mold. Like, you know, these guys are telling us we need to rip up the bathtub and we need to get behind this sink. And we're not seeing signs of any mold. There's nothing visible anywhere. So we're a little bit skeptical about this. And then of course I said, okay, well this maybe, you know, two years ago, I would have said, all right, let's wait and see, but I'm, I'm, I'm really sick and I want to figure out, I got to get to the bottom of this stuff. And then of course my bathtub, for example, which is my favorite example where they said, you know, there's absolutely nothing around here. And the diagnostic guy said, this is like, incredibly high levels of mold, like, like insane. And when they pulled the bathtub up that was sitting on a wood floor, it was like a carpet of black mold, which I had been unwittingly lying in every night for 20 to 30 minutes, you know, relaxing, thinking with all my bath salts, thinking I was doing something fantastic for my mind and, and, and body. (laughs) So, and they were, they were shocked. So I'm wondering kind of where you, is this considered, is what you do considered really progressive and how can we, how can we get, you know, do you get resistance from other contractors? You know, do you, is this something that you see a lot that unless they're seeing actual signs of visible of stains of mold or something like that, or discoloration, they kind of don't believe it. You know, if you asked me four years ago, if I thought I'd be here with you today talking about this, it'd be no, you know, <laughs> I happen to stumble upon something and then become very passionate about it because the reality of it is, is I started to do the math, you know, I'm like, wow, this is impacting a lot of people, all of which mostly don't know about this. I would say, yeah, it is progressive because we're, we're bringing a new idea into the space and saying, look, this is impacting people's health. And it's not like it's really an unknown thing. It's just that nobody has seems to have been connecting the dots prior. As an example, the World Health Organization estimates that nine out of 10 people do not breathe clean air. The American Lung Association suggests that we take around 20,000 breaths per day. When you look at those two statistics, we breathe more air than anything else on the planet, but yet it's literally the last place we ever look to improve our health. And so as I started to see all this come together, you know, not just clinically, right? Because I've really dove into the research on the medical side of things just to look and see what it, what is it that there's just so much correlation between. But then when I actually look at what the results are inside the house pre and post, and then what it actually looks like as you open it up, right? I mean, I remember sending you the photos of what was underneath your bathtub and just being like, Oh my God. It's like a horror film, that photograph. And that's where you were bathing. Like you said, with your, your salts and everything, you know, it's like, that was your, your place of tranquility. Yeah. That was my space. It's probably the most toxic space that, that you could be in. And so what's interesting about what we do and why I think that it's, it's such a valid thing is like, it's all based on science, right? Like we actually saw the numbers of what was underneath that bathtub before we decided to pull it out. And I know the skepticism, we talked about it. Right. And, and unfortunately it's, it's something that is combative and it's not just your contractors. I deal with it all the time. 
if you don't see something, you think it can't exist or it's not there. People are starting to wake up to the fact that there are things that are way smaller than what the eye can see that can harm you. And so I think it's, it's really important that we're all waking up to this discussion at this point in time, because the reality of it is, is it's probably way worse than we could have ever imagined. You know, you start to say 90% of people don't breathe clean air, you know, at 7 billion people on the planet, that's all, that's billions of people that could be impacted by this. I had once heard somebody say, you know, the air inside the home is often a lot more toxic than the air outside the home, which I always thought was so surprising. And, you know, so one of the pieces of advice I'd gotten from Alejandro Younger, that great Dr. Longley, open, open your windows, let fresh air into the house. You know, it's cleaning products and chemicals and, and whatnot, but it's only very recently that I contemplated the idea that the air in the house could be really toxic from mold and, and from, you know, what had been growing inside the house, as opposed to applied, you know, chemicals or fire retardants or anything like that, that there could be this systemic thing in the house that was causing so much toxicity in the air. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about those scientific tests, because I think as, as people get more and more familiar with it, they're going to want to see the scientific data. So how do you verify that there's mold in the house and what are those tests and what are the labs? Yes, as you know, we work with amazing people across the country that really understand what we're trying to accomplish and know how to inspect homes thoroughly to collect the data needed to make these types of decisions on what needs to be done inside the home. And that process is so important And I think that is one of the biggest problems, right? And I don't, you know, I'm pretty sure you've gotten mold inspections in the past and have gotten these, uh, you know, great reports, everything passed. Flying colors, yep. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I think we need to unpack that really quickly so people can understand the difference. You know, it's, there's this misunderstanding that all you need to do is test the air inside your home. And that that air is going to paint this picture of safety or not. And I think that it's really difficult you know, to, to kind of pinpoint that because if you do like an air sample in the center of a room, for example, you're testing like a one inch by one inch space, you know, inside a, I don't know, 150 square foot room, you know, you're going to really only get a very small understanding of what's passing through just that one inch by one inch space. So what'll happen is the closer you take an air sample to the source of the problem, the more those results are going to amplify. The further away you take it, the less those results are going to amplify. So it's not really giving you a good full picture of what's happening unless you know where and how to take that air sample. So I think that's really important because a lot of guys that call themselves inspectors, they just come in, they take some air samples and they tell you either, you know, it's great or, you know, uh, you need some cleaning and it doesn't really give you the data. So the other, the other areas of testing that can be done is what's called a swab. Swabs are really important for areas like attics where you need to take a sample, you know, from a, a rafter to see if there's an active colony there or also important if you see like a leak, you know, water damage stain, and you want to sample that to see what's there, because 
one of the craziest parts of this I've seen with my own bare eyes, a water damage stain that was like, eh, maybe it dried. I don't, it doesn't really look like there's a problem, but you test it and there's millions of spores there. And so it's so important that you, you test these water damage stains or these signs of, of water intrusion, because it only takes 24 to 48 hours for mold to grow. The other thing that, that is really valuable, as we talked about earlier, mycotoxin testing, you can test the dust inside your home to see if there's mycotoxins present, because if there is, then it, odds are it's, they're probably getting inside the body. The other thing is PCR technology. I think we've all gotten used to the term PCR technology at this point. It's technology that's actually able to quantify the DNA of what's there. So there's um, a test called an ERMI. And just a little bit of disclaimer, I don't look at the score when determining what's going on. I actually look at the DNA of what's there. And when I do that, I'm looking for, you know, how much is present inside this dust? Yeah, if you have 40, 50,000 spores that anytime you move through a room, anytime the HVAC kicks on and this dust gets aerosolized, which is what happens, by the way, and that enters your breathing zone, that's a lot to enter the body at once. So we want to look at what is there, how much is there, the types of species present, and how do we come up with a proper plan to reduce that? There's also bacteria testing because bacteria can produce toxins as well. Uh, back, certain waterborne bacteria also sporulate, just like mold sporulates. So we want to look at certain bacteria, the presence of bacteria, the bacterial toxins, because again, it's like this perfect storm when water damage comes into our home. There could be mold, there could be bacteria. So we want to look at all angles. And what I've really determined is it's not just about the mold or the bacteria. If we zoom out a bit, it's when water comes in and damages our home, if we look at it that way, that's where it creates this, this compounding effect. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. One of the things that happened is, you know, I have a house on Long Island and there was a lot of mold found and it was remediated by using bleach, as you say, and, and painting over it. And it's interesting because at that house, at the end of the summer, when we lived there, multiple summers, I had come home with lung infections. One summer I got walking pneumonia at the end of the summer. And I was like, what is it with this house? Like, this is so strange. I would be exhausted. And so I thought, you know, this is well before I met you, maybe there's a mold issue. And, and indeed there was, and, you know, these guys came in and, and gave it their all and did their best. And it, it turned out that the methods that they were using were, I think, antiquated and didn't actually, weren't actually able to remove the mold. What has been the history of mold treatment and why would that in your mind be ineffective? Like when you see that and you test again, are you, it's still testing as high? Is it, you know, is there any merit to the old fashioned way? You know, I would say the old fashioned way is actually what I use. What I think has happened is things have shifted into becoming more product-based 
right? So with 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 bleach, it was just pour bleach on it. Does that work? It doesn't. No. What was the thought process there, and and why is it not effective? You know. I think we have this problem in America where all we try to do is figure how to speed things up or like address a symptom as opposed of like the, yeah. Right. So there's actually a remediation protocol in the Bible in, in, in Leviticus. Yeah. Mind blowing, right? Leviticus talks about how, you know, there would be mold problems inside people's homes. The, The priests would go and try to clean it first and bless the house and if that didn't work, they just demolish the house and build a new one. And so it, it's, you know, there that's, people use that's, that's an extreme protocol. It is an extreme protocol. Luckily, we don't have to do that these days. <laughs> but you know, the ideology was the same. It's like if you you have to remove it, and if you can remove it, great. If you can't, you know, at the current methods of the time back then, they just would demolish it. When you look at it today they've skipped the removal process almost. They just want to come in and spray chemicals and try to kill it. But if you go on the EPA's website right now and you, you, you type in, should I use bleach? They'll have a little disclaimer at the bottom. Basically, you shouldn't use any biocide because even dead mold can cause allergic reactions in some. I mean, I would probably modify that statement to just say, you don't kill mold period because it could be a little mis- misleading. But yeah, the idea is think about it like this half of mold is not alive, right? So we have the particle. So it'd be like trying to kill a seed for a plant. You wouldn't, you would just throw the seed away and take it out of the soil and it's gone. You know, so again, it's, you, you, you can't kill something that isn't alive and a spore is not alive. It's just a seed at that point. Unless you water Um, it. Unless you water it, right? Then you have the mold colony itself. If you kill it, it just comes right back into particles. And also while it's, while it's dying, it has the potential to produce mycotoxins, which wouldn't be good for the health. So it's just kind of that whole ideology of let's kill it. And and I call it like the spray and pray methodology, or you spray and pray that it's all good. It doesn't work. As a matter of fact, if you were to do that methodology and then retest as so many people do, It'd be like, hey, my numbers are up since remediation, not down. Why is that? And it's like, well, because they didn't actually remove anything. They just killed it. So how do you go about removing mold? I mean, it was so fascinating for me to see in my own house what went into it. And I would love for you to just talk a little bit about what that process is. Yeah. So it's kind of like science project meets construction, right? I mean, and that's kind of the best way way to to really visualize it. You're setting up containment walls. And what you're trying to do is, again, you know, we talk about how small mold is. I mean, just a million spores can fit on the head of a pin just to really bring that together. So as you're removing stuff, you know, think about like a cloud of mold spores that can travel. You want to be able to contain that. So we have equipment called uh, air scrubbers. We set up engineering controls in this way so that it doesn't spread from one part to the other. At that point, it would just be redistributing the mold, not actually removing it, right? So that's a big part of the process. And I think it's a lot, it's a big part of the process that a lot of people skip because they don't realize like what they're, how that can impact people. And then you have the actual removal process. So when you look at mold, it actually does have roots, just like a plant. They're called hyphae and they grow into structures. So you have to remove it from the structure successfully and then retest to make sure you did, because again, 25 times smaller than the eye can see, that's how you know that it's fully gone, right? 
once you know it's fully gone, you want to clean up all of the particles, the spores that have been circulating throughout the home that can still enter your body if you don't. And I think that's a big thing. Like you may have heard of the term cross-contamination, or you may have heard the fact that like, oh, I remediated, but you know, I still feel ill around some of my stuff. It's because the very final part of the process, once you've really eradicated all of the sources, the mold actively growing, you have to clean up what that mold has created over the time of its existence inside your home. And so that's really kind of the second part of the process that's so important that, again, in traditional remediation, it's not even thought of. So if somebody wanted to try to understand this process, like, is there, is there anything that they can do before calling in professionals? Because like, is there anything they should triangulate? Like, oh, I don't feel well. And I did have a, a, a leak and, you know, are there things that people, what are the sort of signs that people should look for in terms of knowing when to call in somebody to, to diagnose the house? Yeah, I would say a couple of things that you can do. One of my most famous little tips and tricks is the toilet hack, uh, where you go over to your toilet tank and you lift off the lid, the lid of the toilet tank, flip it over. If you see mold growing on the underside of the toilet tank or inside the toilet, it it's this is not scientific, okay, but it's <laughs> a good indicator that there's mold somewhere in the home that's opportunistically getting inside the toilet tank. If you have a toilet that's not used often, you know, that opportunity could be a little greater because you don't have running water, but essentially that's kind of an indicator. Okay. Is there something going on in my environment that's that I need to be worried about? At least it should give you the precaution of let's test and figure it out. Another, you know, obvious sign I would say is like these coffee like stains that happen when we have water damage. I don't, I don't know if we've ever been in an office building and looked up and saw, you know, like the ceiling tiles that are all like brown and discolored. Very good sign that that was exposed to water damage, which is obviously the culprit of mold and bacteria. I would say in those earthy, you know, basement type smells that we might remember from childhood or, yeah. or otherwise. Those are actually microbial VOCs that are being produced. What's and a that, microbial VOC? All right. So it's, it stands for microbial volatile organic compound. And so the best non-scientific analogy I can think of is, you know, when you first paint your house, you have like that paint smell. Yeah. So that is the paint actually putting off volatile organic compounds that create that smell. So new carpeting has the same effect. New cars, that new car smell is just VOCs that make you feel like, ah, this is great, but you know, who knows how much that's impacting our health. Microbial VOCs are produced specifically by microbial like mold. And it's, it's typically described as this like earthy, damp smell, because obviously there's water involved. And so that's a sign that something is not right. And you need to identify it before it continues to get worse. Okay. Because I always thought I, I, I brought that up to someone and they're like, no, that's not the dangerous kind of mold. That's just a normal, you know, basement smell on the East coast. And mm. no. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. How, how bad does a leak have to be for us to be concerned? Can it be very small? 
Oh yeah. I mean, very small. So to give you an example, I was in someone's home yesterday. It was like the most smallest leak in their master bathroom shower that was dripping down for God knows how long. And it was actually going down and into the master bedroom and into the master bathroom. And I mean, the levels were off the charts. The floor was like bouncy. I mean, you know, it was, there was a bed there, so they never really noticed. And with that in mind, you know, we're looking at this and we're like, Hey, to, to really repair this properly, we have to remove the floor. We have to, you know, unfortunately remove the, the finishes inside the bathroom to get to that, to fix it properly. And then obviously repair the pipe. I mean, it can cause, you know, some significant damage and you may have no idea. And that's what makes this so difficult. And the other, the other unfortunate piece is it's really expensive to remedy. Like it's totally. Yeah. I mean, it's like doing a, a construction project, but yeah. you, know, you could have a, a perfect bathroom that you just finished and have to rip the whole thing up. And in order to get to the source of the mold, is that right? Oh yeah. If you knew how many brand new bathrooms or kitchens that I had to rip out because they just built over the mold because they didn't know any better. It's sickening. I mean, like when I think about all of the things that happen, it's all avoidable, you know, like all of our contractors worldwide should be trained in what to look for, how to look for it, and to stop the project and say, we need to call in a professional before I build back this bathroom. I mean, just like just some of those simple things would help change the landscape. Builders, this is going to be crazy. Builders, they have no microbial training. They have no training in water damage and how that impacts buildings and how that impacts our health. I mean, it's alarming, right? And it's like these simple little things that we can do to help, you know, change things for society so that we can improve our health. So if we're, if we're embarking on a renovation, what should we do? Like, what should we tell our contractors to be looking out for? I think my recommendation would be to do kind of like this due diligence, right? You're about to embark on a kitchen renovation. Go ahead and get your kitchen tested. You know, know what's in, know what's going on behind the cabinets, behind the walls, so that as you open them up, you're not creating a bigger problem. Because if you don't know, and the contractor's kind of midstream doing the demo, he probably won't have dust, you know, dust suppression controls in place. He's not going to have the equipment that we bring in to contain it all. It's just going to spread. And I think that's, you know, been a lot of the problems that I've experienced too. It's like, we have this renovation and ever since then, you know, I did a, an ERMI test and that the numbers are through the roof. It's because what happened was they redistributed a lot of the mold that was in that area being renovated to other parts of the home. My first mother-in-law who I love, I don't like saying ex-mother-in-law, I say first mother-in-law, <laughs> she's English and she was visiting us a few years ago. And this always kind of stuck with me, especially as I went down my road with you, she, we were passing a big construction project and she was like, oh, look at that. It's so, and she said, oh, I forget that in America, you frame all of your houses in wood. We don't do that in the UK. And as I kind of, as I started going down this process, it, I wondered if that is fundamentally an issue. You can build a house out of really whatever you want, but you have to know that if you're going to use certain materials, it has to be done in a way that makes sense. Now for a wood framed house, all that would need to happen is a, you would need to follow the structural building components associations guide on how to store the lumber before you put it up. 
and they don't tell you to leave it in the, into the soil where there's mold to then transfer that mold to grow on the wet framing. They also tell you that not only to elevate it, but to wrap it and leave the ends open for ventilation. From there, if you're going to build out a wood, again, following that, you put it up. It would be as simple as making sure it's called what we consider dried in, in the construction industry. And what that means is that you, you pull the moisture out of the lumber to a certain percentage before you consider that that house is dry and it's safe. We can start to bring in insulation and drywall. Before we do that, let's just test it. You know, let's just be, let's just be extra safe and make sure that there's no microbial activity on, on our framing. So where, where wood framing is not used, is that is that part of the strategy behind building a house out of brick? Does mold still grow in brick and stone and ceramic and marble? Well, so brick is semi-porous. Same thing with, you know, most of the cementuous products that we use across the world. So technically mold can grow in a semi-porous substrate like brick. We've seen it all the time where we actually have to physically remove mold from the brick, from the cinder block. So it can still grow. You know, wood is semi-porous as well. So it's, it's still kind of in the same family of porosity. I think it's, it's really less about the materials and more about the process and the strategy. Like if you understand how mold and bacteria form inside of homes, you can really start to put together a strategy to prevent it from happening, especially in new construction process, in the renovation process, et cetera. So are you seeing this innovation spread? Are people starting, are, you know, kind of more legacy contractors open to this? Are you seeing people changing their minds and, and asking questions and wanting to be educated about this? I am. I am seeing a, a shift in, 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 in the way in which we're, we're operating in the construction world. I think it's been a very slow shift. I don't think that we have everybody on board, but it just as an example, I've gotten a calls from builders who are trying to do the right thing and they're asking questions and they're asking, you know, if I can be involved in the process. And I think that's great, a great start. And of course, I've seen other, you know, remediation companies looking for answers on how to be, uh, you know, better, better suited for health reasons. So I think that, you know, there's definitely this curve in the road that's starting to turn things around, but I don't think we're, we're fully there yet. Yeah. I think you've got a few more years of of education. And I think like with anything, the consumer has to be the one to sort of really shape the market and, and shape the education. Totally. And I'm actually, you know, and, and like my goal, right. So, so I have this crazy goal of, you know, helping hundred million people by the year 2030. And so how I plan to accomplish that goal is, you know, it's no secret right now. I feel like I help the 1%. And I'm shifting to how can I help the 99%, right? Absolutely. And so how I plan to accomplish that is with education and educating the consumer to know that this impacts their health so they can do something about it. Creating a certification process so other contractors can follow suit is really going to be pivotal because a lot of the problems that we experience are avoidable and preventable if we were to tweak some things in the front end of things. So you know, it's like a lot of the, we're already building houses. We can build them better. We're already renovating homes. We can renovate them better. And if we can change some of that stuff up front 
And by the way, it's not like it's going to add a whole lot of cost to do it properly. We're going to be able to actually change things before they even become this problem. There's regulations that need to change, some laws that need to change regarding governance and how we govern our buildings so that, you know, this is a priority. And I think that with, with, you know, the help of people who really want to see the change, I think we're going to get there. What are some of the things that people can do if they can't afford to do a huge remediation or change homes? Is there anything that people can do, like take steps to really improve the quality of the space that they're living in? Absolutely. So the top three things that you can do today, number one, Go under the cabinet in your sink where you keep all your chemicals, throw away everything that's toxic because toxic products are going to create more of a problem. They're going, if you have mold or bacteria, they could start to produce toxins if they feel threatened. So switch all to non-toxic botanical disinfectants. There is so many options today. That's something you can do right now. What brands do you like, by the way, of home products? So I like Benefact. I use it actually professionally and you can get it on Amazon now. So it's like no problem for you to have what we use inside of, of everyone's home. Seventh generation is kind of like another alternative to that. It's a thymol based product that you can get at the supermarket. So if you need something in a jiffy and you don't want to wait the two days for Amazon, go ahead and, and run over to the supermarket and get seventh generation. And these are the like the botanical disinfectants that we can use to help disinfect our homes without adding more toxicity to our lives. The, the other thing we talked about is we know that if you have sources of mold that produces these contaminants that get into our HVAC, that get, you know, that circulate around our house. So by staying on top of the dust, you're going to also inadvertently remove these contaminants as you're cleaning. So making sure your house is clean and decluttered is going to be very key. The other thing we talked about is filtration. We talked about how most HVAC systems, they don't have proper filtration. Even if you're renting right now, you know, take, take matters into your own hand and see what filter you have. Go to Home Depot and buy a better quality filter. What should we buy? What are we looking for? The highest MERV rated filter is MERV is, is a, an efficiency rating for filtration for the HVAC. Get the highest rated filter and highest means just get the highest number you can get that's going to fit inside your machine. That's going to help protect you against this particulate from constantly recirculating. And, you know, even if you're renting, your landlord's not going to care about your health the way you are, you know, and and so you have to be an advocate for your own health. If you see something, say something. So, you know, there's mold in your toilet, get an inspection. Last but not least, you know, just like we filter our water, we should be filtering our air. It's it serves two purposes. As these microbes come into our lives, we filter them out and it protects our, our systems in our home. But also you're going to be breathing better quality air. You know, your skin, your hair cells, they become dust in the environment. So helps minimize on that. I got uh, standalone air purifiers in our bedrooms just in case as part of the process. And I think it makes a big difference. It does. It really does. Yeah. I was curious because you're so insteeped in this, obviously, if, if people are coming to you because there's clear mold in their home or they know that there's mold, are, are they, do you ever say, oh, you should, you should check your mycotoxicity level. You should check your mycotoxin levels. Like here are some of the people you should work with, or, you know, this is the kind of test you should ask for. 
Yeah. I mean, we do ask right up front, are you working with a doctor? And if they say no, we're like, well, you should be, right. you know, because there's, there's really three parts to this. It's getting and understanding the data of what's going on inside the home that is impacting your health. Then you have, how do I treat the body? Right. And that's not something that I'm going to be able to help with. I mean, that, that really is a whole other sector and there could be other things that are increasing your sensitivity to your environment that you may want to handle in the process. And so that that's why working with a doctor is so important. And the nice thing about it is once you work with a doctor, you'll actually see the crazy correlation. You remember when you and I first talked and we're like, well, you have, you know, this mycotoxin is really high and that's not a surprise because look what's in your bathroom, right? And we're able to see that correlation. So if you're ever curious as to, you know, making sure you're correlating what your body is telling you versus what your environment is telling you, you can only get that by working with a doctor and performing certain lab tests. Right. Thanks for giving us your time today. And you're just, absolutely just your, what your work is so valuable. And thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Michael Rubino. Make sure to check out Michael's book, The Mold Medic, and you can see more from him at goop.com slash the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts.